0: Well, good day, and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the Pod Medic, and I'm excited to have a special guest tonight, and we're looking forward to getting him on the show. But we can't jump into that part of the episode until I welcome our co-host, Sam Bradley. Hey, Sam.
1: Hey there. Well, I'm up in the mountains this uh, this week, and I'm uh, just finished watering the deer and feeding the bunnies, <laughs> and I have two dogs too.
2: Here.
1: <clears throat> anyway, we have a, a really interesting show tonight. Um, folks called and, or you know, sent you an email on this, and I thought it was really something interesting and different. So we're going to talk about the Emergency Assistance Foundation, and we're talking to to Doug Stockham, who's the. Uh, are you the CEO, Doug? Is that what you're president? Yeah, yeah, I'm right.
2: Yo, co-founder. Yeah, so I run it.
1: Okay, so it's a 501c3 nonprofit. uh, Been around since 2011, and it helps companies take care of their team members in need. So they're sort of—they call themselves the first responder in disaster relief. So, according to my notes here. You've administered over 350 disaster and hardship relief funds, that's a lot, in partnership with well-known sponsoring organizations on a global sale, and have provided close to $260 million in financial assistance to more than 328 individuals and families globally. So with with that, uh, why don't you tell us some more? Because there, there's a lot to know about this, about EAF.
2: Hey, thank you. I'd love to tell you a little bit more about it because it's my favorite subject. But uh, so <laughs> what, what we what we focus on is is this: you know, when people when things happen, a disaster, and there's some also things called personal hardships, where people become in a financial situation, have a problem financially. Uh, we can actually, uh, and we what we do is we we give them money or pay their bill very quickly. Uh, so like just right now, uh, when you know the, the Maui storms have happened fire, wildfire, we, we're able to give um, uh, people a cash in their bank accounts immediately because other people may be on the ground helping them with things like water or food, other things, but they have other needs. You know, they got to have a place to stay or or have family needs and other things. And so providing some uh, money or paying some of their bills is a very big, big issue. You know, another recent thing example, like in Ukraine, when the war started, people were trying to scramble to go get out of there or find some way to to get their lives back together. So we gave 8,000 people uh, cash. Um, So that's what we do. And we've built the great tools for it, Um, uh, cloud-based tools that we can do things very, very quickly. People can apply on their uh, cell phones. We can identify who they are, and then we can provide uh, money so they can help pay their bills and kind of get their lives back in a better, better place.
1: I think that's, like, way beyond fantastic. Um, my nonprofit is working on, um, supplying medical supplies to the healthcare system in Ukraine also, but you've been involved in the COVID-19, uh, pandemic hurricanes, Harvey, Irma and Maria. And that's just a, a small sampling. I would guess. What do you think about that, Jamie?
0: It's pretty amazing. And I'm curious, Doug, where, where do the funds come from that, that EAF disperses? Well, they come historically primarily from
2: um, uh, people who work for the companies. Like a company might sponsor a fund. You know, it could be a a Target, Starbucks, people like that, companies like that. And they set up the fund. And the employees can donate to help the fellow employees. The company commonly donates. And that's the most common way. There are, however, public charities where anyone can donate. So an example like Maori Wildfires, other people who are donating we just want to help people who are impacted. But the majority of the money, uh, what we do does come from the company-sponsored funds from those companies and from those employees. That, that's the vast majority of it.
0: Okay, like, so that's public- interesting. So the com- a company will set up a, a fund for their affected employees in a disaster area, and the other employees from other areas of the, the company can then donate towards their fellow employees. That's really an amazing process.
2: Yeah, it really is. And what's interesting, though, is like uh, another this recent example, like like Maui, some companies will call up and have call and say, hey, none of our employees are in Hawaii, but they actually want to give. Can they give? They said, sure. Um, and a lot of these funds are set up because the employees want to help each other, and they ask the company, can you find a way that we can donate to a fund that can help other fellow employees that have a, a situation? Um, and so that's a common way for it to also be kind of driven by the employees themselves because a lot of them do want to give. They want to give in a way, you know, like the most money goes to the people in need, not not to a bunch of overhead. So it, it, has, it has really kind of grown and grown because there's a lot of uh, just just need and desire by a lot of the employees that want to give.
1: So you administer these different uh, hardship relief funds and then you disperse them? Is that how it works?
2: That sounds like an awful lot of work. Yeah, we 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 set them up and we we administer them, which is all the management of it. Because when they donate to EAF, it's they donate you know the money is our money for mm-hmm. for a specific fund that they donate to. And then what we try to do more and more, like we have a department we call the um, Express Grants. The idea is once you determine determined can be awarded the grant, they need the money right away. So we try to we pay right, right away. We pretty much operate 24-7 because you can imagine when something happens, you know, it's like the, the the people who've been impacted by a disaster can't take the weekend off, right? They need the money now. So we work uh, 24-7. We actually speak 26 languages. We have people scheduled around the, the clock to always be available to answer the phone. And um, and it's, it's grown a lot over the years. So the majority of people that work with us, uh, Live in other countries. We're in 10 time zones. Um, speak 26 languages, like I said, and it just because we do this globally. So whenever something happens, you know we're pretty much find out about it fairly early. I remember, like, when um, the COVID thing started for us. What happened is, is in February of 2020, we started getting a lot of applications for grants in Wuhan, China. And we think there's something going on in Wuhan, China, because everybody's getting sick. And, and and we were making a lot of grants there. Then it came out the COVID was starting that way. But so we've also developed a lot of scaling tools because we might go, you know, some months only maybe three or four thousand applications, and and like why couldn't COVID hit next month hit sixty thousand applications. So We have to process all that. So we've developed a lot of online scaling tools that allow the support the people to be to use these tools. so They can we do more to help other people. So that's been a huge advantage for us to the automation to support the the people that we have
1: so if a particular business is affected by something somebody blew up their building or whatever it might be and and team members have been displaced or maybe there was a hurricane in in their area and a lot of their team members have been uh displaced and we we see that all the time with firefighters and things like that that are in a disaster area that they can't function because (laughs) their firehouse just you know, went away, as well, well as their potentially their, their home. So do they tell you who these people might be so you know who to disperse the funds to?
2: Well, uh, but, but the regulations work is, is called a charitable class. So any group that sets up a fund says who's in the charitable class. And so typically a, a company that does it is going to set up people who work for it. And, and so then we have to do by regulation is when somebody applies, verify they're a member of the charitable class. Well, that's fairly simple in a company standpoint because because we'll ask, does this person work for the company of the charitable class? Um, in other cases, like in the Mallory case, you, you might say, well, charitable class in one fund is just whoever lives in the city that was impacted. Well, that's fairly easy to determine, too. So if they're members of the charitable class by regulation, then they can qualify to apply for a grant. And so that's that's really how we we, we do it. Mostly it's larger larger companies, typically have 2,000 or more employees. Uh, probably on the average, the employees that we deal with have twenty five to 50,000 employees. And some have several million employees. But, um, you know, so it's typically not a very small group that happens. And, and quite often they set these funds up because it, it's impacted by a certain thing, but they keep them open because people have needs all the time, you know, even when there are big disasters happening.
1: Exactly. Um, so they apply for a grant, and you look at all the variables involved, and then you determine who gets what from there?
2: Yes, because our, our goal is to give everybody a grant if they qualify. You know, we, so we want to give the money out. You know, we, don't, we don't have an endowment. We don't build an endowment. We, we our goal is to, is to actually grant out everything we can. So, you know, we encourage people to apply if they can meet the criteria, and we and we try to help as many people as we can. And so, it's really, it's really nice to be able to do that, quite frankly, because uh, you know we've been able to help an awful lot of families. And our goal is to grow it to where we're doing, you know, between you know, uh, up to probably a quarter million families a year is one of our is our next goal to try to get to that level.
1: That's great. So. On a smaller scale, uh, you assist with things like serious illnesses, house fires, or deaths in the family. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, you know, those things are kind of kind like, like a disaster, like a hurricane. It might happen. I live in South Florida, you know, and, and there's, I think, one period of time, 13 years between hurricanes. Then sometimes you have one every couple of years. But things like, you know, serious illness or death, or other things are, are constantly happening to people. Um, Not everybody, but in in a a population, in a a corporation, you have a fairly fairly safe percent of people having these same needs all the time. So the goal is to try to get help them also because, um, you know, a lot of people have some needs, and it it doesn't solve all their problems, but it helps them through some hard times, which is is really uh, nice. I've even had several uh, people who've gotten some money so, they're so appreciative. They don't have much money, but they want to give something back. And they want to say give a lot, but it it's just makes them feel good that when they got into a, a tight, they were able to get some money to get through that. And, and the average grant commonly is, is about a little over $2,000. Um, sometimes it's less if it's right away, but uh, you know, it can be impactful for people who are maybe uh, you get behind their rent or or they have a problem like a, with a big disaster. they have to stay move somewhere and stay overnight in a hotel for a couple of nights and get some clothes and some food. And it's important because, you know, we send them an email on a cell phone, so they can actually use their cell phone to to get the funds. And if you can imagine if you had a hurricane, you had to leave. You, you don't have a mailbox, right, but you do have a cell phone typically. So that works out really well for, in this day and time, we have a lot of tools now we can use to, be to get people uh, funds and, and communicate with, with through a cell phone or email. It's really phenomenal.
1: Well, it looks like one of the things you guys do is turn this around pretty quickly. How long does it take from beginning the grant process, the first contact, to them actually getting some
2: funds? Well, we have two general types of grant applications. One we call the immediate response program is something we've invented and created and it's in times of, of, a, of a large disaster like a hurricane or like the Maui fires, and they can use a cell phone, answer a few questions. We get verified that they're in the charitable class, and then uh, they'll get an email either that night or the next day, with his, which is the money. So they can get the money uh, within less than 24 hours of having submitted the application and being verified that they, they qualify the the uh, the one we call the more standard application takes a little bit more time. If it, 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 the average turnaround time there is about six or seven days, once we award it, you get the money the next day. But uh, oh. but it can, it, it can be more involved because some of the federal regulations require more documentation, that type of thing.
0: Jamie, questions. Doug, how does um someone find out about this is uh, is this something that you just have to know your company has available or is is there a notification process that happens when um a, a situation that would be eligible happens whether it's a, a personal disaster or a natural disaster that ha- affects a larger population
2: well that's a, that's a really good point um so companies try to um provided by the this Fund. So sometimes, you know, because we're all hit with so much stuff every day, it's hard to pay attention to every piece of information people give you. So a lot of times people don't really pay attention, but when there's a large-scale event like Maui fires, everybody knows about Maui fires, so you're more you're more open to hear these messages or there's a hurricane. Um, and so that's the most common way that people kind of connect to the fact they have a fund during those times. The most effective way is with the companies. Offer it for people to give because if you're trying to talk to people about a way to give, they kind of listen and they pay attention a different way. Um, And so it's often through the big events where people, you know, it's front of mind that they really pay attention. Um, What we do is we pay. We look at this all the time. We send out constant alerts about large scale events that happen around the globe. The hardships is something we can't really promote because. We don't know who has hardship when, but people at the company do. So, so we we work with each other. We call them fund partners to help them develop a message and to help get the information out and, and communicate with their uh, their employees to to let them know there's an opportunity to do this. Because you know people have a need. You know if they they need um, when they need the money. You want to try to connect them as best you can. And so. It has worked out very, very well. I still think there's always opportunity more to communicate better, and particularly uh, the situation where, um, you know, when the when those big events happens, really is a way to really communicate people the, the best. And that's what one one way we keep working on a lot because it's just it's just hard to for people to always pay attention when they don't don't have a need. Then years later, when they do have a need. They may they may not remember. You know.
1: You know, I'm amazed by the scope of this thing because you have over 100 team members located in 10 different time zones, uh, serving over 12 million individuals across six continents, and you have a lot of multilingual response ability. So what do those people actually do? Are they the ones that make contact with folks in different countries when they put the grant
2: uh, request in? Yeah, so we have several groups of people. We have when people hit uh, submit on application, the the reviewers immediately uh, know about it and they they begin their review and communicate with the applicants. And then we have a team of people which is just applicant support. So every fund has a unique phone number and unique email, so they can contact the uh, applicant support. And the two type, typical questions are you know. How's my application going? Or does my situation um, enable me to get a grant? And so we have about 26 people that just do the, We do um, uh, chat, uh, vo- uh, voicemail, email. And we even have a system whereby people can say, call me at this time, because sometimes you know, it's inconvenient to just call people back at some t- any given time. So we'll set appointments. And we work really hard to be able to communicate with those, uh, those individuals. And then we have, uh, of course, the finance team, once the grant's approved, uh, we have a team of people that just, their goal is just to get the grant to people in to respond to ones who have a hard time um, with some of their financial aspects because their bank accounts, etc., may have some difficulty. We have various different groups that do all these things, and they're focused on on their area. And uh, it all works really, really well together. It's kind of amazing to me. But it's been after, after a number of years, you know, you build a team up, and people are used to working together, so so it really starts to flow really well and, and work really well. And we can do things like in the Maui case when it happens, we can set up a fund and all the tools the next day because we have we have, we know what to do. We just do it again, you know, for this situation. We're very yeah. we're very uh, very organized to be to be immediate response because people need help immediately, not next week, next month kind of thing. And we always respond really right away. No matter where, where we are, um, we can always um, you know, focus on what needs to be done because it's just kind of bred into us, quite frankly. A lot of times we never ask people to work extra hours, when every time a big event happens, people just do. They uh-huh. just they do whatever work they do. It's been amazing to me because if anything, I've had asked people say, please be careful, don't overwork yourself because – you know, you you can't keep doing these hours every day, every week. And you gotta you gotta balance things. And that's yeah, really so interesting. We never have to extra. We have to work less if they, they can slow down a little bit.
1: That's the problem with those of us in disaster. We don't know when to stop. That's <laughs> in front of us. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna grab it and run. But you know, keeping track of all this and all this data management, you have cloud based technology, you have scalable platforms and procedures, and you're constantly reevaluating those processes. Can you talk a little bit more about how
2: that all works? Well, Sure, we have some great uh we call it fund partners that say set up funds for example, one's Oracle, and they have a great tool called NetSuite, and they've been helpful to us in getting that using that as our kind of main platform. We have a number of others, for example we use uh, tableau is the data visualization because years ago people called up and say well how many applications are we getting uh, how much more donations you need i thought we shouldn't be having to tell people that we should just already know so we, cre- we created a data vis- visualization so every company has uh I- immediate updates visually to how many applications are coming in a maps of the world where they're coming in of what grants are going out what the fund balances are all those types of information they have visually anytime they want it without asking us and then that means we don't have to spend time telling them we spend time making grants so we've used a lot of things called like rpa robotic process automation to do a lot of automations a lot of apis to connect some online platforms uh, various types of i call them scripts but other software we have a really pretty amazing uh technical team mostly a lot of people some of them are in the United States a lot of them in Bulgaria because they are very it's almost like Silicon Valley of the uh of, of you know Europe and they really have a huge amount of technical skills we have a lot of people who are really adept at that we've just created a lot of software that helps us do the scaling and, and do the connections and it's been very very uh, I've been impressed with the number the skills which people have. I had no idea they were this smart, <laughs> but it's really nice to work with them, you know?
1: <laughs> well, you also work with a variable fee structure based on fund activity so you can keep cost low, right? And you haven't increased yeah. your fees a whole lot in, in the last 10 years.
2: No, we've actually lowered them. So we've never raised fees since we started 12 years ago. In fact, we've actually lowered them. So if you look at inflation, that's like that's like 30% less we've never raised. I mean, what we've done is we, we keep creating efficiencies so that, so that um, we don't have to raise the fees. And my goal is trying to never raise the fees. let kind call it like a personal goal. So if we become more and more efficient, then we can do that. And, and right now, we have somewhere around, you know, four or 5% of the cost is our overhead and the rest goes to people. So the goal was to kind of keep it that way because logically you want the money to go to people, not to go to pay overhead. I mean, you have to pay overhead, but but if the more you could have actually go to the, the people in need, then that's a much better thing to donate to and a place to to have. And we can do this. Right? We can we can. I feel confident we can do that. If we keep growing, we keep scaling more. We just keep our overhead the same, hopefully. Therefore, as percent, it becomes a smaller and smaller percent of the, of the money, and therefore we can do so much more to help people with all the donations we get as we grow our donations as well.
1: Well, and that's a big deal because when there's a disaster, there are a lot of can't scam charities out there, or people find out that the one that contribute to 50% of it is going to overhead and that kind of thing, and that's a really good thing for them to know that you guys are getting as much as possible to the people that need it.
0: Jamie. I'm qu- curious, Doug, when, when a company is looking at providing some, some kind of benefit assistance to their employee base, uh, how do they get in touch with uh, the foundation to set something up for their organization? Well, it's interesting.
2: See, we've never actually made sales calls. In fact, we don't have a sales department. We have, we call it education. So uh, companies reach out to us literally almost daily, um, and, and they either heard about us or they have other companies know about who've used us, uh, or they just find us on the Internet. And we get emails from them typically, and we set up a, a call, and we start talking about what we do and how you do it and how it works. And then those companies that are interested, they usually, uh, you know, sign up and go forward. They usually, usually you know, three or four new companies a month. And and because it's hard to talk to people about it who don't know what it is because they don't understand. But fortunately, uh, the more we're doing, like when we started 10 years ago, we were thinking maybe there's 100 big funds out there that are worth doing. And the whole market was 100, we thought. And now we have 350 or, or 375. And you know, the market's uh, bigger than that, but um, a lot of these companies, too, we're administering it with their own charity, but our costs are so much less. And, we're, and because this is the only thing we do, we're able to create tools that that, that you could never do if you're just a single company. And if you look at that, if you think about that, you know how many people like uh, Walmart handles. We're basically, in this world, we're probably six times bigger than Walmart, uh, and, and this is what we do. So it's a, uh, it's become, it's become, you know, easier and easier for us. And so it's, we're really enjoying that. It. it just, I mean, we have a team of people just coming up with more, more technology and more ideas. And we're always trying to prove where we are because we can still get better. Like all of us here, everything you do, you always get better at it. So that's, it's been a very enjoyable thing to try to do that. And you know what else is really interesting. We have almost no turnover of people and it has to be because people like what we do, and they like working with us, um, and it's been very uh, amazing to build a team and have the longevity of all the team members. We just, we, just, we, we barely have one person leave a year, if that many.
1: Yeah, well, people get really dedicated to these kinds of causes. I know it's the same thing with our nonprofit, and we're all, we're all volunteers, so people take a lot of time out of their day um, to be involved in this. Uh, getting back to Maui for a, a few minutes here, um, you got you got on that pretty quickly, and according to this, you've already delivered more than eighty thousand dollars to financial and financial assistance. I mean, in the short period of time this event's been going on, that, that that's pretty amazing. So um, that's still going, I assume, and uh, there's a, a link to the, for that. And uh, Jamie, I'm sure, would be glad to put that link up. Right, Jamie?
2: Absolutely. There you go. Yeah, there is. It, so. Yeah, we're, we're doing a lot in, in that area. We plan to do a lot more. Because, uh, you, as you know, most nonprofits raise money, and they're glad to do it, and, they, and they're and they proud to do it. It takes some some time to raise money, and then they have to figure out how, how to use the money. Whereas what we do is we start making grants immediately as soon as we can. Um, and so we're, we're also raising additional funds in just a normal way um, because we, we there's an opportunity to give a lot more money out to individuals in, in need. So our goal is to try to also raise money from the public, which is not something we've commonly done because we're still able to give money to the individuals uh, there or families that need help or even support some of the service providers um, on the ground that can help people rebuild. So that's that's we're adding that to what we normally do. Our expectations for it's all said and done. Hopefully, we'll be able uh, be able to grant out several million dollars before it's all said. In Ukraine, we started. We ended up with uh, giving out over eight thousand grants, almost a little over eight million dollars in Ukraine, plus to to some other neighboring countries where people went and needed, you know, help where they're staying with people that would just put them up.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, lastly, let's talk about Granting Hope 2024. You have an inaugural Global Relief Fund Summit coming
2: up. Yeah, we did one a few years ago. It was interesting. It was in 2020, uh, just before we knew what COVID was. It was in January, and we um, maybe it was in February. And we started uh, one, and we invited a, a lot of people, and we ended up having a great group. Uh, the majority of people that came were not people that we already knew or worked with. They were trying to learn about, say, a relief fund. And people got together, and it really worked out uh, well. Uh, for example, the first night, we had, you know, get together in like a little bar, Then we closed it down, and the we next day was a big meeting, and nobody left. They didn't leave because they wanted to talk to each other and learn, and it was really great. People really connected. So obviously, we couldn't do it during COVID, so we decided to, you know, have another one uh, set up and do something uh, very similar hopefully even better. So we were very excited about this in Orlando in, in February. That's where we did it last time too, because a lot of a lot of people come down on a Thursday, Friday, the next day on the weekend with the families. Orlando's inexpensive. But it's a great, nice place to be. And um, and then we it, people like to learn from each other and get to meet other people who are trying to do this in their companies. So it's a great opportunity to get together. It's really worked out um, well. So we're very, very uh, excited about this. We have a, a great uh, speaker, Erin Vokovich, who was as oh, known, yeah. you know. So we're looking forward to to uh, to get people to hear her as well. I've never met her, but look forward to that. And uh, and it's just it was always always been phenomenal. We also set up a kind of a sister organization in Canada to do the same thing for Canadian companies, so they're going to be coming down to the the uh, event in Orlando, and so everybody get to meet them as well. So we're just we're just trying to build this industry out more. We want to help a lot of other people who are interested in this type of subject and just keep growing it. Growing, we do every year, and it's been it's been it's been phenomenal. You know, as I get a little bit older, I'm thinking, well, I can do this until I can't talk anymore. So I can still keep doing this. I'm very excited. <laughs>
1: well, we hope that that doesn't happen, but. Um this is just all mind-blowing, and I think when our team gets a chance to listen to it, they'll agree, too. Um, so we'll put up the information on that, too. So this is really about uh, – Jamie and I know, because we've done EMS shows for quite a few years, that the networking is really the most important piece of it, and it sounds like right. that's what goes on here, right?
2: So, yes, it is. That, that is the key, is the people like to network. And, and that's opportunity when people get to do it. so Because it, if you do it in person, you see people, you get to build relationships, and that's very important in any industry. But it, for this one, it doesn't really have much of a you – know, it, it, it's everybody's in a different co- company, different place. So it's a chance to come together and get to meet some others. That's been very helpful.
1: And this isn't something that a lot of people understand or know about even. So, you know, that's a good opportunity. So, Jamie, what do you think? Are we going to –
0: well, I we have I think it's here. great, and um, I just would like to extend uh, you know, Doug. Why don't you give us a quick um, way that folks can find you online uh, if they want to look at a way to get their company involved? Uh, how how's the best way for them to do that?
2: Yes, go to the website in the upper right corner. There's a contact uh, piece of information. So the website is fairly easy. It's of course www FDn.org and FDn is short for foundation F Frank nancy.org So you go to that website and if there you can you can see all the companies that we're involved with you can uh, uh, put in the contact information put in some uh, ask for contact and we'd love to be able to help anybody who uh, has a need or just wants to learn something that's fun. we're we're about the education part We think I always think if I educate people well they want to work with me. And if I don't educate them well, then they don't. But, uh, but you know, we don't do the selling really part. We just try to educate because we it seems to work better that way. Sounds good. Well, well also.
0: Go ahead, Sam.
1: I was just going to throw in, we, we have a Facebook group uh, that if you or someone from your organization, because if people listen to this and they have more questions, we have a very large listener base. Uh, we have this Facebook group that's, I don't know, somewhere in the 900s. Um, if someone were to join that group, then they could continue to ask questions about it if they like.
2: That that'd be great. I think we'll, we'll I'll get someone to do that. That'd be great.
0: I appreciate that. Fantastic. And a real quick shout out to our um, our generous uh, sp- supporters, uh, Paragon Medical Education Group, and they make this show possible. Um, Based on the last 10 years of their support, we've been able to continue to bring weekly shows to you about different disasters, programs, response efforts, and things like that all over the world. And uh, so make sure you check out their information over at um, ParagonMedicalGroup.com and uh, ask them how they can put together a unique training and disaster preparedness uh, program for your responders in your community. Um, Sam, where can folks find you?
1: Well, in the above-mentioned uh, Disaster Podcast group on Facebook, on disasterpodcast.com, or on social media under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11 Jamie?
0: And you can find me under the handle PodMedic in most social media locations, so I look forward to seeing you there. And, of course, at disasterpodcast.com, don't forget you can subscribe to the show. There are links on each episode page right below the audio player that will allow you to subscribe using your favorite mobile device podcast app or even by email so we look forward to having you back for the next episode and uh, sam i'm glad we were able to get doug on the show
1: me too i I was fascinated by this um and thank you so much doug for being here we'll have to have you back again sometime but it you know as much as we've been doing this almost 10 years jamie and it's amazing that we can still find Organizations like this that we didn't even know about that are so helpful in disaster. So that's my parting words.